From an outside perspective, restaurants are the perfect getaway. Great food, inviting atmosphere, comforting environment. It's an all-around fantastic time for friends and family alike. Though it can be beautiful and enriching from the inside perspective, as a guest, one doesn't see the hardships and stressors of creating a wonderful experience. Every restaurateur goes through struggles and challenges that could make or break them. This podcast aims to explore that, pulling back the curtain and understanding what it's truly like to run these establishments as told by those who do it. I'm Justin Warner, and you're listening to Resto Talk, a podcast brought to you by Touch Bistro. Who are you and what are you doing here? Well, my name is Eleni Young and I am from Lloydminster, Saskatchewan. And I'm here because I am one of the Happy Touch Bistro users. And obviously that implementing that new system into our restaurant has made a world of difference. And I am here to hopefully give some insight to your listeners on how to be an effective restaurateur in the industry. So how does one get into the restaurant business? That is an excellent question. And I honestly don't even have an answer for you. I am a third generation restaurateur. So I have been in this literally since I was in my mother's belly. I will say though, that the restaurant entrepreneurial spirit, I guess that does run in your veins and some people have it. Some people don't. My sister is not super interested in being part of the restaurant. Whereas myself, I've known basically ever since I was little that this was my fate and fate it is. <laughs> and in order to, I think, get into the restaurant business, I honestly think you need to have some kind of experience with customer service in that regard, hospitality. It's not necessarily something you just walk into and hope for the best. Like It takes a little bit of drive and, and not all the time can you just come across someone with that organically. So yeah, I think that's kind of a mixture of you got to have it in you and you just got to sort of take what you already know and put it to good use in restaurant land. So at what age did you know that you were going to be a lifelong citizen of restaurant land? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I just, I've always known it. I can't really give you a definitive answer because it's like I said, it's just in my blood. It's something that I've always considered as my job or my, my career path for the, the future. And I, I tried to uh, run away from it. You know, I took, I went and worked for a lawyer in town because I thought for sure I was going to do law. Um, that was another one of my dream careers. Uh, and I had wanted to do law forever. Just in, you know, in in certain aspects, I'm a musician myself. So I thought maybe entertainment law or something, something, something that would tie those two together. I worked for a lawyer and I hated it so much. Oh my God, it was so dry and so boring. And I needed that interaction with people. I needed to be able to serve them something and not a subpoena, but a, you know, a plate of ribs or something. I guess it started there when I I guess, said goodbye to the idea of maybe possibly being a lawyer and saying, you know what, let's just go head in and let's see what happens from here. Nice. Talk to me about the restaurant. Okay. Well, we're a third generation restaurant, like I had mentioned. We are a Greek Canadian restaurant. So my grandparents started it back in the, I want to say they started a restaurant in Lloydminster in the 70s, but Spiro's itself has only been around since the early 80s. There was a situation, well, everybody knows about what happened, what happened in the 80s. You know, there was a big recession and interest rates went skyrocketing and everything. Well, it's actually kind of sort of what's happening right now. <laughs> and they lost their restaurant, unfortunately. And there was a gentleman who was a local banker and he reached out to them personally and said, hey, I really loved your restaurant. I'm so sorry that it had to end this way. I want to give you guys $22,000 out of my own pocket. And I want you guys to go open another restaurant. 
And of course my grandparents were like, Oh my God, this is insane. You know, what kind of person has this kind of money just floating around right now? And thank you so much. And so they took it and they started a restaurant called Spiro's and up till now, it's just been sort of a community hub. We've, we've had lots of opportunities to serve our community. We, we did free Thanksgiving meals on Thanksgiving for anybody that was alone or didn't have money to, to provide a meal for their family or whatever. We've had our fair share of opportunities to serve in that regard, as well as just growing. I mean, we, we started off in a strip mall and we bought the, we had our one spot that we had originally purchased or rented out. And then we bought the spot next door and then we bought the spot next door. So we sort of owned that part of the strip mall. And then when we outgrew that area, we built our own building and we own it. And it's on the far South end of Lloydminster. And, and at that point, really, there was nothing. We were sort of on the outskirts of town. And now it seems like the town is sort of building around that area, which is cool. So we had a little bit of insight. We just, we thrive on growth and change and, and we're family. So my mom and I are we were at it today about ordering and the pricing and, <laughs> and uh, my grandparents are in Greece right now. So that's kind of nice for us. Everybody misses them. How do you juggle the family dynamic? I work with my wife, but like my brother-in-law takes care of our recycling when he feels like it. And, <laughs> um, you know, mom is always dropping in and it's a lot. I think a lot of people don't work with their genetic relatives, <laughs> you know, or There's their a loved reason, ones. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, so how do you juggle that? And what in your past has helped you to do that? I mean, other than, you know, that cultural, what do you call it? It's like a cultural law that you have to like be totally. nice to your family and stick around them. Yeah. I mean, that cultural law that you talked about, that is a thing, but also like the Greek culture is very much a thing. Like we are, we're Greek. We live, we were made to live together and we pretty much do at this point. I knew right up front, there was no boundaries in, in family business. And I think that is a, a con to the whole thing. Like, you know, if we're busy, I'm calling you and you're coming in. Like, I don't care what you're doing. You're dropping everything and you are coming to work. And so that's a thing that happened, you know, up until I was married. And it was just like, my husband said, listen, like, I love that you love work and I love that you love your family and the restaurant, but like, we're on a date. <laughs> you can't just leave, you know, you can't just leave the movie theater to go or like, you know, now I have two children and it's like, okay, well now they're in activities and now they're, they're doing things. And maybe they just want some one-on-one -on -one time with, you know, my spouse or myself. And it's like, I can't just live and breathe, eat, sleep at the restaurant because now I have little people and I have a husband that's dependent on me being at home or me being part of their, their world, whatever that looks like. So I did have to learn to set some boundaries. And what that looked like was saying like, Hey, maybe it's time to just hire someone else. Like I'm here and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. And now it turns out like I'll work every day from about nine until about one thirty, And that's when I answer emails and I do marketing and I create content and I'm corresponding with people doing my part of the job. And I also hired someone else. And that was sort of something that was risky for the family. Cause I mean, oh my God, payroll, <laughs> we can't, we can't hire somebody else, but we hired somebody else. And she's sort of an extension of me. So she's there when I'm there. We work really hard together while we're there. She's doing like a cost analysis right now on all of our pizzas and she's running around the countryside with our sauce. And so she does that and I stick pretty close to home and do the things I need to do. My mom is in the kitchen and she's cooking and we've got a manager that does her thing. But up until this, you know, maybe about five or six years ago, it was like, it's us four and no more. Like we don't want to give control to someone else, no matter what how great they are and how, what kind of a resume they come with. Like we just cannot possibly give up any control. And so 
we found somebody that was great for the job, fit for the role to do a management position. And so having her there and having a kitchen manager, having a front of staff manager, having a me, having a Rebecca, who is my extension, and then having everybody do their roles has allowed for some boundaries, which is so healthy for all of us involved. You know, It's my grandparents that just can't seem to wrap their heads around it. They're there from Papu or Spiro. He's there from eight in the morning until eight at night. And he chooses to be there. He's 80. We give him a little bit of a, a you know, we're pretty chill with him. We, we let him do his thing. He just walks around and watches you and make sure you're not getting too much ham on that pizza, you know, or he's going to lose his mind or <laughs> he has his coffee. And, and so I think that's special. That sets our restaurant apart for sure. We have, you know, three generations walking around the restaurant, but setting boundaries, I think is just where it really starts. And that's, that's how to be, I think, successful with having family under one roof. So you had mentioned that someone in the community reached out to kind of start this restaurant. as a gift. I mean, it's a big deal now. It would be an even bigger deal back then. Totally. Do you think that because you stick together as a family, you're more inclined to receive the support of the community? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think now it feels even more so like there needs to be a sense of family and community. We all know the pandemic was not friendly on literally any business. But for us, I felt like in a weird way, we actually did better during the pandemic. And it was because our family got weird and uncomfortable. And like, we started posting weird stuff on social media that, I mean, we thought it was funny. Everybody else thought it was funny. Like we could not even go out in public with our little mask on and and somebody would be like, I loved your video. And like, so what we would do is we, my mom and I, and we had some special appearances from my grandparents. We took some songs that are out there. Like, I don't know, one of them was, Electric Avenue. And we just changed the words to it, which is probably illegal. And we sang it on Instagram with the video. And we had these props and like are singing into our broom and stuff. And people loved it so much. And it was like people felt like they were part of the family and they were getting to experience these like weird family quirks. And that in, ex- in itself was sort of an example of how our family, in the way of us being sort of weird and, and complex and having these personalities that people have gotten to know over the years. We got to see the success from that. And that was really cool. We're also obviously part of the community in many more ways than, than just weird videos. But that was where I feel like it, it became really real for me. And I was like, oh, people need this. People love this. People need to feel like they belong and they fit in in this like weird family situation. <laughs> Do you think that people are at all envious of your family dynamic? Because I think a lot of people when you see a family working together and working to produce something and that thing is a success, your natural instinct is to say, oh, they must have it all together. You know, if they can run a restaurant together and still stay together as a family, do you think that there is at all like, it's not envy, but do you think that you are like a familial inspiration at all? I mean, I hope so in the way that we're inspiring, but I don't want people to feel jealous. And I mean, like, I will be the first to say we absolutely do not have it all together. And I hope that we don't ever give people evidence to to accuse us of that. But I think one of the the interesting things about our restaurant is that, you know, other than maybe June, end of June through end of August, most summers, just not the past two summers, when you come into our restaurant and you're sitting down at a table, you are going to get visited at least once by somebody, whether it's my my grandfather Spiro 
whether it's Tina bringing out your food, whether it's my mom, that's just trying to get out of doing work or whether it's myself and my kids that are like running around the restaurant barefoot. Like, it's almost like when you come into a restaurant and this is something that I hope for. And I know that my grandparents and my mom really hope for, we want you to feel like you are at our dinner table. Like I want this to feel like an extension of home. And that's something, of course, like people aren't really getting that anymore. I mean, it's, they say the average consumer between 18 and 40 is eating out a minimum five times a week. So like you're not getting to sit around a table for those intimate meals like people used to. So I hope that when they are eating out and if they're eating out at Spiro's, they can kind of feel like, oh, this is like home. This feels like home. There's like kids running around. There's, you know, and and we try not to be like, we have some really cool eclectic decor and we try to be sort of a, a higher fine dining in a sense restaurant. But like, really, we welcome kids. We welcome first dates. We welcome, we've had funerals there. We've like, we've had weddings. We've had hockey teams. We have lots and lots of hockey teams. And so like, it's kind of just, we are just a family and we want you to be part of our table. So please come, please sit. And you're probably going to get bombarded by one of us at some point throughout the evening. <laughs> I hear you. So Spiros has done a lot of work in the community. You would also mention Thanksgiving meals. Mm-hmm. Um, where did that come from? Because, you know, my local fast food place is not doing that. Yeah. And I mean, they should be somehow, whether it's to that extreme or if it's something small. But I mean, I think in a way, my grandparents, when they, they're immigrants, they came from Greece. Uh, I want to say it was 1965 is when they got married. Yeah. 1965. So he came in 59. She came in 65. They had only known each other in person for 40 days before they had to get married. So of all the people that would know what it's like to be alone or to feel alone, it was those two. So when they, they were working in and living in Saskatoon and then they moved to Lloydminster in 1970, like they had left a Greek community in Saskatoon where at least like when they came off the boat, when they came off the plane, they were coming to some people that spoke their language, you know? I can imagine that they felt pretty lonely for the first few years. You know, they didn't speak good English. They didn't have a lot of friends. It was like they were relying on their kids to make friends at school. And then hopefully maybe they would connect with a parent of that child, maybe, but maybe not. So I think the basis, the foundation for reaching out to the community, being part of the community was, I know what it feels like to be in your position. You know, maybe you're not an immigrant, maybe you are, but maybe you just you don't, you don't have any family here. Maybe you moved here as a transitional place while your husband is working, maybe a five-year plan, or maybe you're just, you're here by yourself. You don't have any family in the area, like come and enjoy and sit at our table and be part of our family. And, and that has gone so much farther than a Thanksgiving meal. And we've tried to do that in ways where it's like, you know, we've heard of some families coming to Lloyd. We'll give them a $200 gift card, you know, we'll, we'll buy them groceries. We'll do the things like that because we know what it's like. I mean, not so much myself, but they knew what it was like to be in that situation. And I know about six or seven years ago, um, my grandparents, this is wild and and outrageous. The story to me is like, makes you want to cry, but there was a couple, uh, girls, women, I guess, who were in a gas station between Lloydminster and Edmonton. It's called Innisfree. And they were working at this restaurant and when Spiro and Tina had stopped for gas, they're like, oh, we're kind of hungry. Let's go and sit down and eat. So they went into this restaurant and they recognized this girl's accent. They were like, where are you from? And she's like, I'm from Ukraine. And they were like, oh my gosh, we have friends in Ukraine. We go there every summer and blah, 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 blah. So they got talking and they're like, where's your family? Who are you here with? They're like, it's just us. We're hoping to maybe bring our family over, you know, once we've been here for so long, however that sponsorship program works. 
this was in about November. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Like, are you doing anything for Christmas? And they're like, uh, no, it's just us. Like, we're going to probably just work. I don't know. And they're like, take the day off. We'll come and pick you up and we'll bring you to our house for Christmas. Like, how weird is that? I don't know. I probably would have been like, I'm okay. Thanks. But they obviously saw something really good in my grandparents. They literally drove an hour and a half on Christmas morning to pick up these two girls, brought them over to their place. And we had Christmas with these girls that we had never met, these Ukrainian women. And they were so sweet. We ended up hiring them, brought them to Lloydminster, brought their families over from Ukraine. And it was just this big thing. And like, I think, let's see what day is it today? Wednesday. So a week ago today, um, the one family got their Canadian citizenship. So it's like, it's cool that they have the opportunity to, you know, be in the right places with the right people and the right timing. And they get to really bless people like that, which isn't something that I think every business gets to do. Right. You know, I, uh, people talk to me about restaurants all the time and I always say, yeah, it's right place, right time, right people, right money. But ultimately Mm -hmm. and the hardest thing is right attitude. And to me, attitude is when you see something, you do something and you try and do the right thing, regardless of what mood you're in, because your overall attitude is I'm going to make this situation better. And so it seems like your family has led with the attitude of, you know, we're all actually, and when I say we're all, I mean like humanity, we're all one big family. True. And I think yeah. that that attitude seems to be a hallmark of all of your successes. Mm-hmm. So how do you, in the age of, you know, where it's no offense, kind of weird to talk to people at a gas station, you know, that is seen <laughs> as weird. I'm talking to people at gas stations all the time. It's my job to talk to strangers. I'm kind of doing it right now. Um, <laughs> but like, how do you, as someone who is in marketing or the mar- marketing aspect of the restaurant, use digital mediums to, to transfer and to elicit those very non-digital feelings, mm-hmm. love, happiness, family. How do you do that? Because I think a lot of people will post a picture of their ideal family or what have you. And it's, you're kind of like, ah, eh, it's fake. You know, it's Instagram, it's posed, it's staged, whatever. Mm-hmm. So how do what I'm, I guess I'm getting at is how, when, digital media can be so inauthentic. Do you preserve the authenticity of your family environment? Because it seems mm-hmm. as though that family environment is one of the major draws of the restaurant itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's, it's almost like a two-part answer, I guess, to the one-part question. In a way, I think that, you know, people might not communicate the same that they used to, but people aren't dumb. Like, I think people can read between the lines when they see a really curated, beautiful post and they're you know, they're like, okay, that was really curated. And that was really fake. And like you kind of mentioned, like that was a setup. There's nothing real about that. I try to remember that even with something so untangible, like social media or like our posts or whatever, I need to remember that people are still emotionally attached to some kind of a story or something that's going to make them feel the things. And so I try really hard to to put content out there that makes people feel something, whether it's a story or whether it's something, something, I don't know. I like, I personally, I've had to take a break from social media myself. Um, There's just been a lot going on and I, it's hurting my brain and my heart. (laughs) I just can't, but we did start a, a cooking show. It's called Yamas with Yaya. And basically what it is, is we took my grandmother kind of exploited her 
the the whole point of this was I really, really, really wanted a recipe book from her before she passed on. I mean, she's mid seventies and she's healthy as a, as whatever. I don't know what's healthy these days. <laughs> she's healthy as a stick and she, uh, horse. sharp as a tack. Yeah, there we go. That's not, she's healthy as a tack, sharp as a horse. <laughs> that makes sense. And I wanted her recipes, just some of the things that she's made for us growing up. And I wanted to distribute it to the cousins. There's only four or five of us, but And then I realized that she didn't have any recipes written down. She literally just threw stuff in pots. And I was like, that's not going to work. So I had this great idea to film a cooking show where not only would I get to share her with my cousins, but I would get to share her with our community. And now I've recognized that she's actually got quite a global reach. We've got people commenting and, and doing the recipes from all over, which is really cool. And I feel like Spiro's, in a sense, had to take a step outside of the restaurant and bring that feeling of being part of the family to somebody's YouTube channel or to somebody's phone, whatever. And that was sort of something that was really important to me once we got the ball rolling and I understood what was happening here and that this wasn't going to just be a cook show. It was going to be like a bigger kind of blog situation. And people say something about the show all the time, whether they're coming into the restaurant or they're ordering sauce online. Like they'll say like, we found your sauce from the show, the Yama Sutia, or they'll say something like, oh my gosh, I just made Yaya's Spanakopita yesterday. It was so good. And it's just the little things like that, that I feel make more of an impact than just a social media post. You just ha- you have to get in people's kitchens and cook with them. You have to get in people's homes and be with them and whatever that looks like. If you're not, you know, as a restaurateur or even just as a business owner in 2022, like if you're not taking that extra step and growing and going outside of your business, and I feel like you're going to be stagnant because people need to feel that connection, especially now more than ever before. You know, I do know. You had mentioned that social media makes your brain hurt. How do you <laughs> uh, manage work-life balance? Like I, as a you know quasi-celebrity chef and a person who's constantly selling something, social media is part of my job. It's not mm-hmm. my total job, thank goodness. But I 100% understand mm-hmm. that brain hurt, and sometimes restaurants in general can make your brain hurt no matter the totally. position. How do you keep it all in check and how do you not burn out? You know, that's another good question that I might not really have the answer to because I have been a victim of burnout more times than I care to admit, but that again that's when if you don't have boundaries, you're going to burn out. Like they go hand in hand, you know? I am the person that runs our social media. I don't have somebody else doing it for me. That sucks. I wish that I could pay someone to do our social media. However, we've had help with our social media and the posts don't translate the same. The posts, like I don't want to just post to take up space on the metaverse in the metaverse. Like I want to post to get into your kitchen. I want to post to get in your mind at the top of your mind. Like maybe it's 10 a.m. and maybe you're not thinking about pizza right now, but maybe you're like, I don't really want to cook today. Maybe I'll order pizza later. And like, it's just something like that that gets in the minds of people without sounding so curated and so fancy and just so set up. So I've worked really hard to sort of batch edit, batch create content. Like today, I literally just did a whole bunch of stop motion videos of our new menu items. because, And that was like two hours of my life that I'll never get back. <laughs> but it also saves me you know, hours and hours of creating and being inconvenienced by time. And so I think if you have good time management, I feel like you're not going to get that burnout, you know, create boundaries and your timing. I didn't have anything up today, I guess. So I just decided it was a content day and and that's what I did. Not that it's great content by any means. Don't 
don't go looking at Spiro's social media for inspo. It's just, it is what it is. You got to post stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but I have been known to take like a social media hiatus and I suffer the consequences of just not posting on our page for a while. And like, I have to, because it's not just posting. I mean, as members of our community and as people that are trying to be in the community, like you need to also engage with other community members and like, like their stuff, comment on their stuff, make sure that they know Spiro's is watching and applauding and in their corner. Like that's a lot. I mean, sometimes it's me like laying in bed at night at 11 PM, like watching some community members reels and being like, great job, you know? And sometimes it's me just taking a break from Instagram altogether and being like, you know what? I need like a week off. And I do, I do that. I did it for like two weeks just now. I just came off of like a hiatus. I don't think there's a harm in doing that. I think that it's creating boundaries and you're, you know, saving your mind for burnout in the future, you know? I hear you. So talk to me about some of your other philanthropic activities. I want to say that we, that's just who we are as people, like our family, you know, it doesn't, we're not limited to certain events and certain times and certain things that we do. If we see someone in need, we are right there. And what I wanted to do is I, I have some friends in the community and this is because I am a connector. I, I am a person that loves connection. I have friends in this community. I was born and raised here. So I've, I've grown up with people and I, I know people that own different businesses and are in different sectors. And I know that when the pandemic first started, Lloydminster is so weird because we are on the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan. So we're a border city. Alberta had these certain things going on and Saskatchewan had these certain things going on. And there was just this really huge confusion in Lloydminster. It's like, well, where do we fall? Like, you know, it turns out that we were going under Saskatchewan. And so all the things were happening, everything was shutting down and the hospital was getting full and all the things. And so I had a lady reach out to me and she said, Hey, I, I really want to feed the hospital. And I was just like, yeah, absolutely. So she and some friends got together and they sort of made arrangements with like shift change and what that was going to look like. We gave them pizza and that was that. Now we wanted to do that again. And we did. And that was a really cool opportunity for us to get to do that without having sort of a third party. And it was just, I don't know, I feel like frontline workers in general, like in the hospitals, very, very underappreciated. I just got out of two surgeries myself and have had some weird health scares in the past couple weeks. And I've gotten to experience the hospital firsthand. And I'm just like, yeah, man, these people need pizza again. So like, I'm thinking about a way to get them at shift change probably next week with a stack of like 40 pizzas. Like it's just so fun to do that. And like the smiles and, and I don't care if they post on social media or not, like I could care less. I care about taking care of them after a long shift or right before they're about to start a long shift and just making sure that they're happy and they're ready to serve their patients. You know, that's, it's important. So that was something that we did. I know I had sort of touched on those Thanksgiving meals that we had done for free. We did that for 30 years. We did pass it off to a charity just because with my grandparents' age and just life, it was it was tricky to to work that out. But I, I've really been toiling with the idea of possibly doing one on Christmas Day. Again, though, that's a boundary that like, my husband and I are going to have to chat. Like that kind of just makes Christmas really different indefinitely, you know? But I think it would be a cool way to be able to serve people. Like we were able to serve Anna and Olga that day when we picked them up from Innisfree and brought them for Christmas. Like, what an experience that was for those two. And I just wonder how many more people are out there that are alone, whether they're immigrants or whether they're just without family or whatever during Christmas and they don't get to have a Christmas meal. That sounds horrible. So I would love to do that again. 
just figuring out the logistics on how to make that work efficiently is, is there. And we also do starting, or it started about eight or so months ago. I had a, a do- I have a daughter who's in play school. I'm trying to figure out how to word this properly. And we did a fundraiser for her play school. And it was like pierogies and sausage. I'm a huge fan. And so I ended up buying like $500 worth of pierogies and sausage. Um, I got collectively some people together. It wasn't just me, although I'll be the first to admit, I probably ate most of them. I don't judge. Thank you. But I, I sat down with my mom and I was like, mom, what's the possibility in us doing fundraisers through Spiro's? And she was like, I love it. What's, what do you think? And I was like, well, what about pizzas? Like ready to bake pizzas. And we were the first to bring two for one pizza to Lloydminster. So we have a longstanding relationship with our customers and pizza. Like we, we are the pizza people of Lloyd, regardless of whether or not there's a million pizza shops here now, but we were the OGs. So I said, well, what about like $5 from every pizza? Like, let's look at the cost. Let's do an analysis, see how much these pizzas cost us. Let's give back $5 from every pizza. And that's like an exceptional way to give people money to their events or their charities, foundations. And so we did that. And to this day, we've given almost $20,000 back to our community. Wow. That's a lot of sauce. Right? Yeah. Um, and it's just people being like, man, I love Spiro's pizza. I love the idea of like loading up my freezer with Spiro's pizza. We have a very huge lake population where I live. So people are like, we need pizza for the lake. And it's like, easy, done. You know, we've done, we've fundraised for like a 4-H club, for a school playground, for Bike for Breakfast, which is a really cool local initiative, putting money back into our breakfast programs when the government uh, took away some funding. That was really cool. And it was just, yeah, I don't know. We've had a really cool way of getting into people's homes in that way. Like Spiro's is always in the freezer. Spiro's is always on their mind. It's, we're always on social media, <laughs> just trying to sell the back door, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that was kind of a cool way to rehash all of these really cool memories from these Thanksgiving dinners when we just were giving people back or giving back to people in our community. So, yeah. I love it. Well, it sounds like you have your hands full. <laughs> But I would like to ask if someone wants to have their hands as full as you, and if someone wanted to get into the business, what advice do you have for them? I think my advice would be to stay soft. (laughs) That's kind of weird advice. But as you know, I'm sure the restaurant has a really, really strong current. And once it beats up on you long enough, you tend to, to get beaten up a little bit and you can become pretty jaded and you can become pretty, pretty rough. I'm not, I don't really have the customer's best interest at heart at this point. I just, I need to make my, our bottom line at the end of every night. I don't really care about the service. We don't really need to grow or add anything to the menu. People are happy with what we have. Meh. You know, and I think when you've done business that way for long enough, you really, you start to lose your clientele because I think people are going to go to the people that are innovative and still soft and wanting to be your friend and, and having you at their table. But I guess at the same time, like it can be really easy to fall into that. So I guess my piece of advice in an extension of, you know, stay soft would be go and eat out and be a customer. Like I'm the, I'm a foodie. My husband and I are foodies. We travel all over. We've been all over North America and Europe, but North America just to eat out at places because we love the experience. And we've taken a lot of information and inspiration from these restaurants and we've applied it to our own. And I think if you're not growing, then you're stagnant. And if you're stagnant, then you're you're not going to be here five years from now. So I just think it's important to keep your eyes open, stay soft, 
love your job, make it lovable, whatever that looks like for you and just keep growing. I think people are going to be in your corner. Thank you for listening to Resto Talk, a podcast brought to you by Touch Bistro. I'm Justin Warner. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and we'll catch you on the next one. Spiro's Family Restaurant is located at 1408 50th Avenue in Lloydminster, Alberta. For more information, visit their website at spiros.ca.